Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast is a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Concerning Him seeks to enrich Christians around the globe by educating and equipping them through various media. For more information about Emmaus, please visit Emmaus.edu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Today we're joined by Luca Drago. Is that right, Drago? Drago. Drago. Welcome, Luca. Thanks for coming <laughs> Should have on. talked about that in the prep email. <laughs> How to pronounce your name. Well, Luca is is joining us today, even though he's a current student. This is actually not an episode of Friday Cookies. We're doing a full episode uh, with Luca. So, Luca, how about we start off today by you telling everybody just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so obviously I'm Luca. Um, I was born in Georgia, in Augusta, Georgia, and... Me and my family, we lived there for 13 years. And then for the last eight years, my family has been in Chicago. So like uh, Chicago suburbs. I mean, okay. people from Chicago always say, if you're from the suburbs, you're from Chicago, <laughs> but not in the suburbs. Um, and since then, I've been at Emmaus for the last four years. Um, and honestly, the reason why I came to Emmaus, uh, it's actually, it's, it's an interesting story. Um, I, it all started um, when I was younger. Uh, I think this is also part of my testimony too, so you guys get to know me a little bit more. But um, I didn't really grow up in a Christian home. Neither of my parents were believers uh, growing up for a while. And my mom didn't actually, I don't think my mom actually became a believer until after me and my older brother became a believer. Um, my dad especially was not a believer. He, I mean, we're Italian. You can tell that from my name, but we grew up going to Catholic church and I just remember going to church and sitting through this really conservative Roman Catholic message in Latin and just not understanding anything and never hearing the gospel, never hearing about Jesus, just hearing these words that made no sense to me. And even as a kid, I was like, this is foolish. Like, I don't, I don't truly understand why, why are we coming and why are we, why are we here? I, I don't feel like I'm being enlightened more about scripture, about the Lord or anything. Um, and um, some time after that, my parents actually ended up splitting up and my mom started going to a brethren church and for the first time started hearing the gospel. And, but my dad still, still was going to Catholic church. And, um, just, I remember one day I was just with my mom and I think a lot of this is a result of just my dad's life and, uh, having a life seeking pleasure from the world. And I think we all know that uh, as believers that we can find pleasure in the world, but there's no true satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite verses that's really affected me is Psalm 1611, which talks about how like in the Lord's presence is the fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But in the world, you know, the world gives us all these things, no matter what it is and says, this is the thing that's going to bring you joy. This is going to bring you satisfaction. And those, those pleasures might be there, but they're temporary and they're fleeting. Yeah. Like Hebrews says, um, that was my dad's life. It, it was looking every which way for joy and for pleasure and to just to feel satisfied. But obviously it was vain. It was a vain pursuit that, you know, it was never fulfilled for him. And I remember just being with my mom one day and we got this phone call and we found out that my dad had passed away. Um, he actually ended up taking his own life. And that was really, really hard for me. Um, but after that, actually, me and my, my older brother came to know the Lord as a result of that. I remember after that happened, um, I was sitting in my living room, and there was an older lady who, 
from our church who was just there. It was the day that it happened, and she was there just talking to me and praying with me. And while she was talking to me, I was like, everything you're saying, nothing is helping. That's what I was thinking mm-hmm. in my head. And then she says this one thing that has stuck in my head ever since, ever since that day. Um, she said, Luca, even though you've lost your earthly father, because of this, you're going to grow so much closer to your heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And that is like, and that was so true when she said that. It, it was like, I was crying, but I just remember that stuck. Yeah. I kept thinking about that, consistently thinking about that. And ever since that, I, I just knew. I just knew that. And, and began to understand all these things that I had been learning since I was going to church. Like I, I heard them before, but I never truly understood what Christ had done for me on the cross. And because of his work, you know, the righteous wrath of God, the just wrath of God was satisfied. Mm. And that now I can have a relationship with my God through Jesus. And that truly changed my life. But why I came to Emmaus, that's, this yeah. is leading up to why yeah. I came to Emmaus. Um, I came to Emmaus because... For those of you who don't know me, I I have a I feel a call from the Lord for missions, for overseas missions to share the gospel with unreached peoples, and the reason that's true of me is because I knew the gospel before my dad passed away. I knew it. Like I don't think that I was truly a follower of Christ, but I knew the gospel, and I knew the truths, and I've saw, seen how it affected other people's lives, but I never shared it with him, not once. For mm. two years, I I had heard the gospel and. I believed it was true, but I never really followed it, but I never shared it with him. And some people with your theology might say whether or not that matters, but it mattered to me. I never shared the gospel with my dad. Yeah. And I don't think he ever truly heard it throughout his life. And since then, I've made it a commitment in my life to never, you know, never have someone that I love in my life and go without sharing the gospel with them if I know they're not a believer. Because what's true love? What's truly love? If I know that someone that I say I love is a sinner and they're stuck in their sin and if they were to die tomorrow, they would go to hell. Yet I have the, the cure. Like I have that message for them, but yet I don't share it with them. How is that love? Hmm. And because of that, I decided I want to go to Emmaus. And now I'm at Emmaus and I'm studying in the intercultural studies department. And I feel like um, the Lord is leading me and my fiance, Lauren, to do overseas missions someday. So... It's been it's been awesome ever since I've been here. Like, if you were to if you were to know me before before I came to Emmaus, and then to see me now, just the way that the Lord has changed me is is amazing. Just I was just like a a little boy, and I still am. But like, <laughs> I just the way that the Lord has changed my heart and how much more I know about Him is amazing. Yeah, Ugh, it's been great. Yeah. Well, you said an important word there. You said fiance. Yeah. When, when's the wedding? December 18th. December 18th. December 18th. It's been a long time coming. We've been dating for three years and engaged for another year. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And you you are done with school at the end of the semester. Yep. Yeah. So it's like going to be two weeks of just transition in my okay. life from graduating to being married All in right. a matter of like a couple of weeks. It's going to be awesome. And then you want to make an announcement about the job that you start in January. Yeah. So I actually accepted a position at Emmaus um, as an admissions counselor um, in the admissions department. So I've already started doing that part time and I, I love it so far because I mean, I'm someone who's already super passionate about Emmaus. I love it. And mm. just having a job where all I have to do is just try to convince people to come to Emmaus yeah. because of how it's affected me. That's not, that's not hard for me. Yeah. So that's I'm great. super excited. That's great. And, and Lauren's got another year and a half before she's done. Is that right? Yeah. Lauren has another year and a half. So we'll be in Dubuque and around for at least that long. Okay. So 
Great. So we, we got you at least for another yeah, year and a half. Yeah, I'll be around. <laughs> All right. Well, today I, I brought you on specifically because I wanted to talk to you some about your experience this last summer in Niger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw you over the summer, you know, I, I saw you uh, posting pictures and, and yeah. you, you made some sort of post about how much you loved it and it's really changed mm-hmm. you. And I was like, that's awesome. So I sent you a Facebook message and said, yeah, you know, I, I, I want people to know about what you're doing because I thought it was really cool. Um, and now it's it's November. It took me a while to finally get you <laughs> yeah. on the podcast, but here you are, and and I'm I'm really excited to hear. So, just just to begin, tell us exactly what you were doing last summer in mm-hmm. Niger. Yeah. So part of my major is that I have an internship. Um, each ICS student has an internship where they have to go overseas to a different country for um, three months. Okay. So like for example, Cullen was also on his internship, and he was in Colombia, and I was in Niger. Um, but honestly, I don't like the word internship because it sounds super academic. But honestly, and if you were asked Colin, he would say the same thing. We just really wanted to serve the Lord and mm. see what the Lord was doing in another country. And especially because we want to be trained by missionaries. We wanted to be discipled, and we were. So, yeah, we were, I was in Niger. Um, for those of you who don't know what Niger is, it's a country in West Africa. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, it has the highest birth rate in the world. But it also has the highest child mortality rate, which just kind of shows the effects that poverty has had. I mean, but it's like, I think it's almost eight children per mother, per woman in the wow. country, which is a that, lot. That's the average. That's the average eight. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And I think the average person lives off of about $500 a year. $500. Wow. When we have people in our culture who are buying, you know, the new Xbox for $500. Yeah. It's like, it puts things into perspective yeah. a lot, but... Yeah. Well, what was the kind of ministry that you were doing there? Um, so Niger is a 99% Muslim country. Okay. So, I mean, just a little story that kind of put it in to help me to realize the context I was in. I remember first just the culture shock. I mean, I got off the plane, literally off the plane into the little tunnel thing that leads to the airport. That heat hit me because it's <laughs> right in the Sahara, like right on the border of the Sahara Desert. And... 115 degree weather right in the middle of hot season I was, that hit me and that was wow. hard but that's just weather you know yeah. and and no joke i remember we were driving um back from the airport it, it was either back from the airport or one of the first times we were driving traffic stopped and i'm looking around and i'm already like just trying to take it all in all this culture is completely different you know very all sand you know super impoverished no big buildings trash everywhere and then traffic stops too. I'm so confused. Why is traffic stopping? Um, and then all of a sudden, not only does traffic stop, but people's car doors start opening. Their doors okay. are open. And I was like, okay, what's going on? It's kind of scary. And everybody, all the men get out of their cars and they start flocking to um, mosques. And right before that, I was hearing loudspeakers, like these really cheap loudspeakers. And it was the call to prayer. Okay. And people will stop wow. their cars and get out and walk to and they'll have their mats too, and they'll go and they'll pray. Um, and that was, I remember crying. I I mean, just right now, it's its emotional just thinking about it, but just crying because I realized the need. Mm. The moment I got there, the need was so clear for the gospel that all these people who don't know Jesus. And so the ministry that we were part of, that was a question you asked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was staying with a missionary and his wife who had been there for eight years. And uh, they had 
such a such an amazing ministry. They were involved in so many different things. I just I just couldn't imagine like the work that they put into to the the work that the Lord was having them do there. Mm-hmm. Um, they had when they first got there, them and a team started a youth center. Um, they called it Roche, which means rock in French. Um, with Rock International, I don't know if you've ever heard of okay. that. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but they started this youth center, and they bring in uh, consistently, you know, hundreds of kids a week, and they do things like music classes twice a week. They do a kids club where they go through Bible stories and they have kids act out the Bible stories. They play volleyball twice a week, you know, and, and they also have a printing ministry where they print Christian literature because Niger has such a low literacy rate. They're trying to encourage people want to be literate, but also to do it through Christian literature, which Mm. is really cool. So they have all these ministries that they're a part of and they were amazing. I remember getting there and just thinking like, this is it. This is, this is ministry. This is missions. You know, all these kids are coming in and they're preaching the gospel and it was so awesome. But, I soon began to realize the true beauty of the ministry that they were doing there was in the church that they planted. Um, they planted this church a year and a half ago, and they okay. had been there for eight years. I mean, they had a church prior, but it wasn't. It was like the missionaries had a church and a church meeting that they were doing. But they began this uh, church called Eglise Gomni, which means Grace Church, um, with Nigerians. So for a year and a half, they've had this church and they probably had 30 people and they just started in this little like stone amphitheater that they had at the youth center. And that was the most awesome ministry to be a part of. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'll be honest when we were there, we were walking the streets and we were sharing the gospel with people. And that was really awesome, like super encouraging. And I mean, we didn't, I don't, I, we didn't see like someone come to know the Lord right, like directly through that. Yeah. But it was awesome going to share the gospel. But the discipleship that happened at the church was so cool to see. Mm. And the reason I think it's even cooler in a Muslim country is that these people were being discipled, but they were also missional in their thinking. Yeah, They were, you know, they came to know the Lord and then they were being trained and they were understanding scripture more. Some of them don't know how to read, so they need to be taught orally by others about scripture. And then they were going out and they were sharing the gospel with people boldly, like so mm. boldly sharing the gospel, which... In Niger, that's such a big deal because it's a Muslim country, and the moment that you declare yourself a follower of Jesus and you become baptized, you know, you're completely, you're decided to be an outcast in that society. Mm-hmm. You're abandoned by your family, like completely disowned by your family. It's harder to find, for them to find jobs, and people just know, like, oh, he's a Christian now because everybody's Muslim, everybody. Um, and it truly helps you to see the cost. Okay. They truly sacrificed so much to follow the Lord. Wow. And it was, I remember um, I had a buddy, his name was Alain, and he uh, he would always say, I had I learned Zarma for a little bit, but it, my Zarma wasn't great, but I understood this because it was super simple. He dumbed it down for me, but it's just so beautiful. He would always say, Hala nigonda yesu nigonda haikulu, which means if you have Jesus, you have everything. Because I was asking him, like, you've lost so much everything you've given up for Christ and like what are your emotions like looking back and he said that's what he said I have Jesus I have everything and it's so powerful wow and we just that's just not that's not a reality that we understand in the states but there it was just so amazing to see the faiths and how strong and strengthened they were um in Niger of these believers it was so cool but then another thing too is watching them go out, like I already said this, but not only to be willing to be considered outcasts and other people to look down on them consistently in their communities, but they also were so bold in going and sharing the gospel. Not only were they, you know, like declaring that they were followers of Jesus, 
and, and abandoning all these things and sacrificing these things for Christ, they were going and they were trying to tell more people and convince more people and being ridiculed yeah. even more. But it's because they knew. They knew what Christ had done for them in their lives, and they wanted to go share it with others. And it was it was just so encouraging for me. Now, when, when you say that they, when they accept Christ, when they, when they claim Christianity, right, mm-hmm. are they, they're not, they're being socially outcast. What, what is the relationship with their family like? Are they outcast from their families as well? Yeah, they're, uh, yes, a lot. Um, my, my buddy, so one of the guys that I uh, lived with, he lived with me for a month. His name was Adrisa. Um, awesome guy. I, I grew so close to him. He was probably my best friend when I was there. He was an older guy. Um, I mean, he he uh, had a wife, but she passed away, and he had several kids. But I remember we were going close. We were talking about the gospel, and he was telling me how he just doesn't fear sharing. And we were talking about his family, and he had told me st- stories about his family before. And I knew his his brother was a leader in the one of the, like a teacher in the mosque, so an imam basically. Um, so I was talking to him about his family. And obviously none of them were believers, and we were talking about sharing the gospel. And he said, you know, we should go share the gospel with them. So we went. We were going. Like, I remember saying, okay, let's go then. And on the way, I remember him saying this to me. He said, just so you know, I tried to do this one time before, but my brother chased me away on the street with a stick because he was beating me because I was trying to share the gospel with him. And I was like, whoa. Wow. I don't you didn't say this to me before we were leaving, you know, that, that there was this that actual persecution to be faced yeah. as a result of it, which yeah. is, n- I've never experienced that, yeah. you know, but that's, that's the relationship is you like, not only um, are you not a part of our family, but we hate you, mm. you know, and the fact that you would even dare try to come and share this with, yeah. you know, your nieces and your nephews and your mother and your brothers and sisters. Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm going to beat you, yeah. you know, is... It was it was just really powerful to see how bold he was to share. And it's like, I look at my own life, and I have family members who I know are not believers yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm around them, and there's, there's honestly, other than my own image, like there's nothing sacrificed to share the gospel with them. Yeah. Like there's, there's no real consequences, yet I don't. And I think about that, like what I was saying at the beginning. We say we love people, yet we don't share. It's just really, really, really convicting for me. Mm. That's wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, what, what did an, a typical day look like for you or was it really varied? Yeah, it would, like I said, I mean, the missionary that I was with, uh, they just were involved in so many different ministries. Okay. So it was like, it was constantly different, but I mean, I would usually get up one really cool thing that I wasn't expecting when I went that and I think it's the greatest lesson that I learned is just how good the Lord is. Mm. And the reason I say that is because my day, my days here at Emmaus are when I have free time, I'm with Lauren or I'm with my friends. Yeah. You know? Like I spend so much time with other people. I'm like a very personable person and I just want to be around other people because I'm an extrovert. That's just how I am. But when I was in Niger, I was, you know, I, I stayed with the missionaries and I, and I lived like next in a little room next to their house. But you know, I wasn't with them 24-7, and I was in a culture where I didn't know anybody, and I didn't speak the language, and it was lonely at first. I remember being there and just thinking, oh, I don't know anybody. I miss my friends. I miss Lauren. I miss my family, and I nobody understands what I'm saying. I can't even have, I can't even talk to people, but I'm someone who likes to talk all the time, you know, mm-hmm. um, and eventually the Lord was like, Luca, you're considering yourself lonely, but I'm right here. 
You know, mm. I'm right in front of you. I have the, this Bible sitting on my that my the kit the table in my kitchen, and I'm walking past it, and I'm saying how lonely I am and how I feel like I'm wasting my time when I could be in the Word. And I feel like the Lord was really, and it's kind of sad that it took me. It, I had to go all the way to Niger to learn this lesson, but it's like the Lord is good, mm. and He wants He wants to have an intimate relationship with me. He wants to have an intimate relationship with each of us. And it's right here, you know. We just have to flip through these pages and speak to him, and he desires um, yeah. to to answer to us and to help us to feel his presence. And, and yet, we're just so ignorant sometimes. But yeah, I had a lot of alone time. Mm. Is basically what I yeah. was about getting to say. But other than that, I spent a lot of time with the young men at the church. Okay. Yeah, and we would do Bible studies and stuff. And and did they speak much English? Um. So Adresa. Yeah. And this is probably why he was one of my best friends when I was there is because he had really good English. Okay. But most people, some people had, you know, the equivalent of American, the average American Spanish, you know, it's like, okay. we, we know a little bit, but yeah. it's not, but yeah, no, most people did not know any English. Okay. It was, I mean, the, each person, it, which is crazy that it was a super illiterate country, but like each person knew th- about three languages, tribal languages and French, but okay, not much English. Yeah. What are some of the ways you feel like being in the, the intercultural studies department here at Emmaus mm-hmm. and spending, what, three and a half years or, or three years in that program before you went on this trip? How? What are the ways you feel like that helped prepare you? Yeah, I remember, oh man, I think one of the biggest thing and one of the biggest things, and I think this is why it's called the intercultural studies department, is just actually doing things cross-culturally and how to prepare yourself for that and how to interact with others in a culture that you're not used to. I would have been, it would have been a very like anxiety inducing and depressing experience if I hadn't been in these classes before because I knew what to expect and what was going to come. And obviously there's a lot of, you know, strategies that were given as well for evangelism and sharing Mm -hmm. with people and learning the language. But I mean, just learning under Mr. Hernandez like he just always expressed to us the importance of, you know, assimilating ourselves into the culture and not put, pushing our culture on them while we're there. Yeah. And that was really awesome for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have gone there and experienced culture um, as much as I did if it wasn't for my classes. And for, <laughs> for example, before I went on the, before I became an ICS <laughs> student, um, I went to on the Summex trip and we went to Italy. Okay. And the other day, Mr. Hernandez was showing pictures from that in class. And I totally forgot about this, but it was a picture of all of us walking around in Florence, Italy. And I was, I remember I was wearing a American flag bro tank and a Chicago bucket hat. And it was like, that's like, I wouldn't have never done that. Like it almost made me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Cause I was just separating myself <laughs> so much from the culture. If I did that in Niger, it's like, American, you know. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you you told me a story about wearing wearing a hat, right? You know what I'm talking about? And and how you normally here in the States you normally wear a hat. Oh yeah. Right? And you couldn't really do that in Niger, is that correct? Well, a hat? Maybe it was yeah. pants. Maybe it was oh maybe it was pants. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. You had the bucket hat. Maybe it was pants, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, and like Niger, um, men don't wear shorts. Okay, like, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to wear shorts and that's just I and, think it's a in hundred and fifteen degree weather. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Don't even get me started. It's like <laughs> where who do we have to talk to to change this? <laughs> but yeah. 
we had to wear pants and that was crazy to me oh wow. it's like i brought all these shorts and i had these and i was i was wearing jeans and the missionaries were like laughing at me how are you wearing jeans right now it's so hot but yeah there's a bunch of really random cultural things like okay. that were that were super different interesting yeah um okay so you know obviously both right now and throughout history there have been plenty of missionaries that have gone to other countries mm -hmm. with little to no training yeah. right and you're in your perspective you're talking about four years in in the program here at Emmaus you're talking about um a a whole summer where you go just to sit under and learn from another missionary i mean that's a lot of of prep time that's yeah. a lot of training for mm -hmm. missions and and we do have these stories of people that just say hey i felt like the lord was telling me to go here so i went there and i figured it out and, mm -hmm. and made it work and obviously we thank the lord for those missionaries and their willingness to serve the lord and they're probably figuring out yeah. a lot of this type of stuff on the fly um but do you feel like taking this time and getting the education do you feel like it's worth it mm. I, that was i've had moments in studying like studying ICS where I questioned that hmm. I was like, I, this is great. And I'm learning a lot of really awesome things, but are these things that I could learn on the field? And then I went to Niger mm -hmm. and truly experienced the things that we were talking about in class. And, it, and if, so when I first came to Emmaus, I started in the nursing program. If I had gone to Niger after just studying nursing for four years and not studying any ICS, it would have been a really difficult, very, very difficult process for me. I mean, it's like, it's like going to seminary to be become a pastor, you know? Anybody can become a pastor, and we see that in Scripture. Anybody can be a missionary. We're all, you know, yeah. called to those things. But anybody can do those things through the Holy Spirit. Like, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yet, some people have a leg up on other people because they've been trained. Mm. And, you know, one thing, one way that a lot of those missionaries, if you look at those stories, you'll see at the beginning of their ministry and throughout their not always throughout, but especially at the beginning, they make a lot of mistakes. Mm. And that's something that I want to limit when I first get there because, you know, you, we say like first impressions, that's a big thing in the mission field too. When you yeah. first arrive in a new community, people want to see how you interact. But if I didn't know all the things I knew about cross-cultural communication, adjustment, and leadership, then I feel like I would have made mistakes that may have separated me from the people. Yeah. And it might have taken a while to make up for those. And I think anybody can do it. Anybody can do it with the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the preparation that like I've received through my training has been so beneficial in helping me have a leg up so that when I go, I can actually hit the ground running. Um, and that's what I felt when I was there. Yeah. But I know that if I had gone without any training, it would have been a completely different experience for sure. Okay. Yeah. What What advice would you give to somebody who, who hasn't received this type of training? I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're 18 years old, and just got out of high school or or maybe they you know they they went they went to college or they're mm -hmm. older but they didn't yeah. go for studying other cultures they didn't go for studying missions work mm -hmm. and and this is something that they're interested they're yeah. they're interested in, in pointing their life that direction mm -hmm. saying i want to go do overseas mission work yeah. what advice would you give to somebody like that is it mm -hmm. is it is it worth it spending the time and the money should they just go what what things should they consider what yeah. what would you say to somebody uh, I'm just trying to think of all the like quotes from Mr. Hernandez in class of like <laughs> one-liners, but um, a, f a few things to say first. Seek first the kingdom of God, 100% would be my first advice. Pray so much, like 
pray without ceasing, like consistently be praying about what the Lord wants for you and for him to guide you, but then be discipled. Mm. That's one of the biggest things. And that's what, that's when you like break it down. That's what I've experienced at Emmaus is I've been discipled. I've been discipled by my professors. They've poured into me and I guess I paid them for that, but it was so well worth it. Yeah. I mean, the Lord's provided and discipleship is so extremely important and one preparing you to go, but also teaching you things that you never would have realized and learning it from people who have already experienced it, people who have made mistakes in the field that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that are going to help you not make those mistakes (laughs) when you go, you know, and they also have great advice because they've done things successfully as well. Yeah. So discipleship, seek somebody who, you know, has a similar calling and a similar heart and, you know, also loves the Lord and loves you and cares about um, you truly walking the way that Jesus walked and cling to them, you know, Mm -hmm. learn from them. But yeah. Seek first the kingdom of God, pray, and be discipled. Those are super important. And come to a man. Obviously. <laughs> that's like, that's a given. Yeah. No, but that's, that's really good Also, advice. I have another thing, too. Yes, please. That I'd like to share. And this is like, especially for someone who wants to do missions, this is something really cool that I learned um, when I was in Niger. I remember we were eating dinner, and there was this missionary there. His name was uh, Ben Sustar. And... I'd never met him before, but constantly we had uh, people coming and um, eating dinner with us, just missionaries, because the missionaries I was staying with, they wanted me to meet them. And he was in Niger with his wife and his family. I don't even remember how long. I think it was 20 years. Like It had to be. That's a long time to be in a country like that. It's a very difficult context, and I really respected him. But I had never met him until he was literally sitting across from me at dinner. And I, I remember we were eating. And we were kind of talking. He was getting to know me. Where are you from? You know, Emmaus a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's like, actually, Luca, can you stop for a second? And I was eating. Like, we were eating burgers. And he's like, can you stop for a second? He's like, can't, uh, we should open up our Bibles. I want to share something with you that I learned. And that's one. Why do we never do that? You yeah, know, and yeah. our, like at Emmaus or in our culture, just, hey, look at what I've been reading. You know, this is what the Lord's been teaching me. But he told me to turn to um, Matthew chapter 9. And he said, I just, just read it. He said, just read it, Luca. So I read it. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he just looked at me. He's like, do you get it yet? I said, get what? He said, read it again, read it again. So I read it again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. He's like, give me a look. So I just, I was like, okay. So I read it again. (laughs) As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said, stop, stop. I was like, okay. He said, read just that part again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said, read it again. (laughs) And this is going to be, it's repetitive, but it helps to drive the point. He said, and I was said, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew and he said, stop, stop. Then I read it again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man stop. And that's where he wanted me to say, say that again. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man. Um, and he see, I said, he said, do you see where I'm going with this? And I think, and I was like, I think a little bit. He's like, who is Matthew, Luca? And I was like, well, Matthew was a tax collector. And he said, well, what does that, what does that make Matthew in Jewish society? It makes him an outcast, you know? Like he's hated by his brothers and sisters in the faith. They, they hate him because he's stealing their money, you know? I, I realize that. But what does it say in Scripture? How does Jesus see Matthew? As Jesus passed on for there, he saw a man. He saw a man. He didn't see a tax collector. And also, in terms of missions, you know, I think so often 
we're convicted by numbers. And it's true, we should be convicted. There's millions of people who have never, literally 2,000 years after the death and life of Jesus, death, life, and resurrection, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who have never heard his name. Yeah. We should be convicted about that. But those are just numbers. But then to drive the point home even more, a man, he saw a man. Jesus saw a man, not sin, not something that he was struggling with, but he saw a man. And I think that's what it comes down to in ministry, is realizing the weight of what and the need is that there are so many men and women and children who don't know Jesus. And because they're men, women, and children, and because of their sin problem, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. They're, they have souls that are eternal. You know, their bodies yeah. and their flesh, that's temporary, but their souls are eternal and they're everlasting. But where, where will they be after death, physical death on this earth? And we need to be like Jesus, obviously. I mean, what a better quote than that. Yeah. You know, remember that. But uh, <laughs> he saw a man. Yeah. Like we should see not just, you know, a billion, two billion unreached people in the world, like that number, but like one billion, two billion souls who are going to hell if they don't hear the message that we have and we have the responsibility of bringing to them. That's mm-hmm. one of the greatest things that I learned. It was so powerful. That's awesome. That to me. That's awesome. Wow. Jesus saw a man. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus saw a man. Um, as, as we start to wrap up here a bit, what, what are some things if people are looking to be in prayer mm-hmm. for Niger, what are yeah. some things that they could be praying for? Um, pray for the government. It's very, very corrupt. And it's something that the Nigerians just don't realize just cause like the literacy issue, they don't realize, but the government pray for the missionaries that are there. They're they're, the laborers are few, but the, the harvest is plentiful, and that's, mm. for, that's true in Niger. So pray for, one, more people to go, but also pray for those who are there, that they would constantly be encouraged um, by the Lord, and also that their ministry would just be fruitful. And then pray for, I mean, that I'm sure that you, many of you have heard, but in Muslim countries, there are so many people who are coming to know the Lord through miraculous means, like dreams mm. and visions, and just pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to work that way, because sometimes, I mean, obviously, that's been so effective. And it's been, I'm very thankful that I've seen the Lord do that. But pray for the missionaries and then pray for the believers that they would continue to grow, even in the midst of a, you know, a lack of literacy. Those yeah. would be the biggest things. Okay. Um, well, final question. What mm-hmm. We know that next for you is, is you know, hopefully at least a year and a half working yeah. at Emmaus. Um, Long term, you've got this degree what do you want to do? Going back to Niger? Are mm-hmm. there other things? Is this something that Lauren is interested in doing as yeah. well? What are your What are your big long term plans? Um, Lauren and I definitely feel the Lord leading us to, to do ministry among unreached people, like okay. especially frontier missions, which people who have had literally in the history of their people group have had no okay. exposure to the gospel, and that's where we feel super convicted. Where that is is that's the question right now. Okay. But I'm, we're excited for this next year and a half of being married and being in Dubuque and being serving in our local church and praying about that. But we definitely feel soon the Lord calling us overseas. Um, but yeah, and then getting married. I'm super excited about that too. So. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, Luca, thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on today. Thank, thank you. you for telling us all about Niger and your experience there. And and uh, everybody listening, be sure to be praying for, for Niger. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Luca. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Ministries like Concerning Him are possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. 
For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.